Okay, with that, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time for the reading of Scripture. This is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And then we're going to jump to Mark 8, verses 11 through 21. I think it's going to be clear why we're doing that today. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. There was a point made a lot during the pandemic about the fact that there is this little thing, this virus, this totally invisible thing that you can't see and even have difficulty identifying for like weeks after you're infected by it sometimes. And yet this little tiny thing which you can't see, it's invisible, had the power to stop the world really bring the world to its knees and to um, bring economies to a halt. And this was on every continent. This idea of something small but invasive that's always at work, however big you are, is a really biblical idea. And Jesus uses it a lot. So do the apostles. They use it a lot as a metaphor for what's going on in our souls. It's the metaphor of leaven. Leaven. And by the way, the, the text 
that this sermon is, is, is looking to is on page two and three. If you want to look back, you'll see the word leaven pop a number of times. What's leaven? Maybe not a word we use all the time. Leaven is the substance in dough that makes the bread rise. Usually yeast. It's something hidden but pervasive. And Jesus is using this idea a lot. Think about how many ways this metaphor works. Leaven is something deceptively small, so small you can't see it, but it is always working until it spreads to affect everything. Let's walk with this metaphor a little bit. Think of an idea or an emotion. Think about fear, for example. Fear. When fear gets to work, what can it not touch in your life? It works its way into your words, your heartbeat. It works its way into your breathing. It works its way into your plans. It works its way into your finances. It works its way into your reactions. It works its way into your gut, your stomach. It works its way into your knees. Is there anywhere that fear can't show up? It's leavening. It's this small idea, maybe a little suggestion, but it goes to work and it can touch everything. And this idea is used for all kinds of sins in the scriptures. Something small. We talked about this a lot on the series on conflict. A little desire, remember that from James 4? A little desire starts working. It becomes more important. And then it becomes masterfully important. And then it becomes something that owns you. It's a very good metaphor. Leaven. In Mark 8, Jesus warns about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Do you see it there? Chapter 8, verse 15. Jesus cautioned his disciples, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So, so the, the metaphor is about the way things work out, but, but what is the thing? What exactly is the thing that's small and invisible in the hearts of the Pharisees, in the hearts of Herod, that are, that's working on them? And watch out, it might start working on you. And before you know it, it'll take over. What is it? It's, it's a really interesting question because the Pharisees and Herod had almost nothing in common. Um, Herod was an opportunist. He was a ruler. He used religion for his own political benefits. He wanted to be Caesar. He was plotting. He was a materialist. He was, um, he was driven by his passions in all things, all of his appetites. The Pharisees, on the other hand, say what you want about them, but um, they were religious conservatives. They were very pious. They jealously guarded tradition. They were skeptical as could be of Herod. But there is a common thread. If there is one common thread, we'll call it unbelief. Unbelief. And we know that's what Jesus means by the leaven of the Pharisees here because Jesus' comment about the leaven in verse 15, it comes right after a conversation with the Pharisees in verses 11 through 13 where the Pharisees demand a sign of him. Jesus, if you're really sent from God, give us a sign. I'm not going to believe it without seeing it. Give me a sign. Even though Jesus has been performing sign after sign after sign after sign in public and in private ever since he showed up 
on the scene in the River Jordan. But no past signs will do the trick. You need to show me right now. I don't know how many of you remember this, but uh, I know a lot of you remember the Super Bowl, uh, the 2018 February Super Bowl, where the Philadelphia Eagles happened to win and there was a big parade and everybody celebrated and we crowned ourselves, I love how we crown ourselves world champions of football as if the rest of the world plays American football. But we were world champions in February. I wonder how many of you remember the very next game the Eagles played. Does anybody remember? It was seven months later, it was against the Atlanta Falcons who we had, you know, in very dramatic fashion beat in the first round of the playoffs a few months earlier. And we were down at halftime and the whole stadium booed the Eagles at home. The Super Bowl champions at, at halftime, the very next game that they played, boos. What have you done for me lately? No past information counts. Show me a sign. Justify my love. Let's make this personal for a second. Because you struggle with this, even if you're not an Eagles fan. Do you know anyone who just will not trust you or will not believe you? Or will not believe that you love them unless you are constantly showing it to them in some way that they demand? Constantly. Yesterday's demonstration was not enough. I need you to show me today or I have no reason to believe. I want to be careful about this because Many people are proving themselves actively to be unworthy of trust in certain ways. Again, we talked about this in the conflict series. We're talking about the living God here. Is one more sign really the answer? One more today. Whatever happened before today. Is it really the answer that will finally put you at rest? Because most of us say, I need one right now, but we're not thinking about tomorrow. We're not thinking about the fact that we will need the same thing, maybe stronger, tomorrow in order to keep resting or trusting or loving. Is it really the thing that you need today? Is that really going to solve everything? This is leaven. And it's not only leaven, it's the leaven Jesus is talking about right here. It's this small, this seemingly small thing of, I will remain in control of my destiny, and of all things pertaining to my spiritual life. And if you want it to be otherwise, living God, you will show me now. Or, you know, you had your chance. As Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This works its way through your whole life. This unbelief has a way of pervading everything. We don't trust him with our time. We don't trust him with our time our risks when life get, gets uncomfortable or scary. We don't trust him with our kids. We don't trust him with our stuff. We don't trust him with the realities in our world that are scary to face. And if we were to face them in full, we would immediately realize how much we don't have the strength on our own. The horrors of this world. But we think in the small things, I don't, I don't really need him. I can't really trust him. And it'll leaven your whole life. And the next thing you know, maybe six months later, you are living functionally whatever you profess to believe, a godless life. This is the leaven of the Pharisees. And I live this way, and so do you. 
And Jesus is saying, watch out. When Jesus goes to his disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. It's clear that they need this warning because right after he says this, their own lack of trust in Jesus is revealed. It's actually a really funny scene. There are two stories here. I put Mark 6 and Mark 8 side by side here because these are two stories that immediately follow Jesus's miraculous feedings. Stephen walked us through one last week, the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6. This passage, 8, 11 and following, immediately follows the feeding of the 4,000. So you, you need to know that this conversation with Jesus happens right after they have seen him feed 4,000 men, not including their families, using seven loaves and a few fish. And the little just keeps giving until everyone is filled to overflowing. And the next scene is they get on a boat. Peter realizes, oh my goodness, I only bought I only brought one loaf for 13 guys, and they start freaking out on the boat. What are we going to do? We don't have enough bread. It's funny. That's the scene. That's the scene. Can we just stop and take that in? It would be funny if it's not so sad and so revealing. My goodness, is this revealing. How deep must the leaven of unbelief penetrate? that you can watch a multitude filled in this way and then despair of scarcity when Jesus is right there in their midst. Let me read again. Jesus can't believe it. Verse 17 and following of Mark 8. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. <laughs> yeah, it was 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. You're right, it wasn't that long ago. It was seven. And he said, do you not understand. And Jesus really summarizes it in the previous passage, the very last verse in the Mark 6 passage. He says in verse 52, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And I just want to simply ask you this morning, it's the question right out of the text. Mark knew all this stuff. This is really for us. What about you? What about us? How do we not understand about the loaves? What is in the room? Is it the thing you know he's calling you to stop and you just won't? Why? Just admit it to him. You don't understand that he's enough. That life is possible and life to the full without that thing. Or conversely, is it something you're pursuing? Not stopping, but something you continue to... Some, some other idol you're pursuing. Is it your goals, your health? Is it living in a regular reality that one day your life will return to Him? And we need to be ready for that now and trust Him for that now and on the last day of our lives. What is it you don't understand about the loaves? 
What has leavened us all the way through and we may hardly be aware of it? Let me just give you a second because maybe my fishing for stuff isn't helping. How do we not understand about the loaves? Lord, have mercy on us. Let me end like this. Last week was this unity service. Uh, I went there. Glenn was there. A number of you were there. It's uh, many churches from all across Philadelphia. Second annual unity service at New Covenant Church uh, on Germantown Avenue um, out between Mount Airy and, and Chestnut Hill. And the bishop of the church that didn't found the church but really like uh, led it for, many, for multiple generations, many decades. He got up. He was the last speaker of the day. And he got up and he, he just said something incredibly simple. And for all the other wonderful things that were said that, at that service, this is the thing that stayed with me. He just quoted scripture and he said, do you, do you all know that it's impossible to please God without faith? He said this. He said a lot of pastors are here and a lot of church leaders are here because a lot of different church, churches help make the event happen. And he said, did you know it is not impossible to serve God without faith? It is not impossible to pastor a church without faith. You can do that, actually. You can preach to a church without faith. You can serve in children's ministry. You can share the gospel without much faith. You can raise children without much faith. But one thing it is impossible to do is please God without faith. You can't please Him. You can't enter into a relationship of communion. You can't be family with Him without a resting faith. That is, we sang, He is our only hope in life, in eating bread and in death when our life is finally required of us. You can't please him without faith. So if that's you today, it was definitely all 12 of the apostles in the boat that day. If it's you today and you are facing a dragon or you're the dragon kind of wrapped up around your pile of gold sleeping with one eye open to attack if anybody gets near it. Anything that's leavening your soul in a way that will lead you away from the only hope in your life. What are you supposed to do about it? Do you snap your fingers and say, I believe now? I believe, I believe, I believe. Make it true? Well, I do this sometimes, at least once a year, because I think it's incredibly helpful I like to give you the real answer and the right answer because they're not always the same thing. The right answer comes first. What do you do if unbelief is leavening your soul? Here's the right answer. The right answer is just believe. Abide in Christ. Rest in Him. Whatever else the answer is, the right answer really is distrust everything that's making you panic Distrust any feeling that is, that is you against the world as if God's not right there with you and cling to him and trust him and rest in faith. That's the right answer, but here's the real answer. The real answer is you need his help to even do that. The real answer is that this very faith we're talking about is daily bread that you need to receive from him. The real answer is you will face 
things that challenge your faith and you will fall. You will fall into unbelief. You will trust your wallet or your muscle or your country or your young, strong immune system more than him. You will fall on your face and it will, it will, you will find a mouthful of dust and you'll spit it out and he'll still be there and say, he'll say, compassionately, but sadly, where was your faith? And you'll say, forgive me, and he will. And he'll never leave you. And then the next time you're on a boat and it's sinking like back in chapter four or it looks like a ghost is coming like in chapter six or you find out you're out, you're out of cash, you're out of bread on the boat. You'll fall on your face again, mouth full of water or sand or whatever and say, He'll say, where was your faith? And you'll say, forgive me. And he'll say, of course I will. Sadly, but compassionately. And by degrees, by degrees, as you face more and more things that you don't trust him with and find out that he's faithful anyway, over the course of a lifetime, you will be strengthened to remember and to understand that your only hope is in him. Do you ever wonder why some people, some, some entire nations sometimes it seems, struggle and suffer so much more than we do, and yet their faith is like gold? Why is that? Is it because they're superhuman or they just have this faith that came out of nowhere? It's because their life is on the boat all the time. Maybe their life is on a boat more in one month than ours is in a decade. And there is no option but to say, I have no hope apart from you. And he proves himself faithful to them. Life on the boat is where we learn to trust him. So I want to ask you again, wherever you're struggling right now, wherever the leaven is creeping in, that is the next opportunity to look to him and find him faithful. And we're not talking about your salvation here. He will save you even though your faith is weak. You say, Lord, have mercy, I'm a sinner, and my faith is weak as can be. He's a great Savior, and that's good news because you're a great sinner. What we're talking about is finding Him good. Finding Him as we sang, but don't believe. We sang it. Worthy. Finding Him powerful. Finding Him the only one who is worth living for with all you've got. His grace will prove this to you if you let him. If you have any capacity to trust him as we come to the communion table today, you need to know two things. You should be grateful for it. Why? That's the second thing. Because he's already meeting you. He's already strengthening you to follow and believe. Praise God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.